I have no idea what I have no idea what happened. <laughs> we just seem to have parted company. Sometimes when I plug in my microphone, it, uh -huh. it um, sends the computer dead. Like it turns it to a black screen. So like I realized because you could hear me when I was over there and over there, I was like, oh, he's plugged in my earphones. So I changed it to the microphone and it sends it crazy. Oh dear. You have to plug it in and on before you turn it on. It's really weird. You have a, you have the weirdest machine. Yeah, yeah. It's done, doing well, man. Though so this is nearly year six for it. <gasps> That's very yeah. good. I'm trying for the first time working off my notes off the computer. Okay. Rather than working off my notes on a piece of paper, because I find it a little bit easier if it's on computer. Because I can expand the letter size and all the rest of it. Oh, that's better. Oh, my God. I've just changed chairs. I've gone from like a 50 pence chair to a 160 quid swivel chair. You can imagine oh my, my, my ass's comfort. Oh, my God. My ass is, my ass is Desmond. My ass is. Maybe I don't. You're need... becoming a paperless office, are you, Des? I'm becoming a paperless office. Look at you, <laughs> modern and ting. I do. This is my first ever non-paperless podcast. So, so are you? Are you like gonna still store things in triplicate? So you'll just keep folder one, two, and three, and well, a copy I'm... in each file. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've decided that I've I've purchased the key, and I'm going to transfer everything either in the key or in the cloud. <laughs> oh, the cloud. That's a listen. It's a nebulous place, bruv. It, it's oh. you know. Never okay. stable for long. Okay, so, so all, your, all, the, all your nude pictures and stuff, they're going to be sucked up. So what else? So what about your your bits, Dave? Are you you're you're all all happy with that? I don't need no clips. He came. He got snapped on CCTV. The prime minister considered the matter closed, and then he resigned. <laughs> oh my god! Have you got something on that then? Yeah. Are you are you no, well, playing? No, no clip. I don't I don't no, forget the clip. You're not gonna clip, you know. No, none of them need to be dignified with hearing any of their voices. Right. Okay. I think that's it. There's nothing else on my doodah, is there? On my bit. Okay. Recording in progress. Let's just double make sure of that. <laughs> you don't want to go down there again. Well, so what show this show is show twenty-nine. 29, Dave, yeah. 29 years young. Old, 29 years young. Oh, dear. Right, so after our week of debauchery and relaxation, <laughs> and back in our at this carnival, are you ready for show 29, Desmond? I am indeed, Dave. I think so. <laughs> I, I hope think so. so. I hope so. Of the Corribon. <laughs> I can't say it. I can't say it. Of the Coravona. <laughs> oh, Dave, hang on. Say right. COVID virus. Of the COVID. COVID virus. Yeah. <laughs> hang on a second. Let's go back. Let's, let's, yeah. Hang on.
welcome to this week's Des and Dave. In America this week, Yasmin Abu Talib and Damien Paletta published their new book on the Trump administration's handling of the COVID virus. No knowns. Donald Rumsfeld, US Secretary of Defense, under President General Ford and President George W. Bush, passed away at the age of 88. It was 115 degrees Fahrenheit in Portland, Oregon, breaking the previous day's record of 112 degrees. Normal high temperatures at this time of the year in the city are in the low to mid 70s. Trump Organization and CFO Alan Weisenberg has been indicted over Trump's business dealings, but this is not the only investigation on the horizon. An Alabama town has denied Donald Trump a permit to hold a rally because they were not convinced it was not a political event. And in other news this week, here in the UK, the EU Citizens Resettlement Scheme ends with potentially hundreds of thousands missing the deadline. Is this another bureaucratic scandal in the making? With Matt Hancock gone, Sajid Javid, the new health secretary, signals the 19th of July as the day for the removal of COVID measures. Two weeks is a long time in politics, Sajid. And on Saturday, England thrashed the Ukraine. But more importantly, all the players knew the lyrics to God Save the Queen. All that preparation paid off, boys. And England will now play Denmark on Wednesday. All that and more from Des and Dave. Um... Desmond <laughs> at 29 <laughs> yes you've surpassed yourself sir that was a very good 29 good luck for 30 good luck for 30 <laughs> that's going to be a challenge oh Des what a two weeks it has been since we've not been on oh my dear Greek gods <laughs> I, think I said the to you word... earlier there's about 18 major stories but I don't know if I can remember all of them well, I think the world's turned over and then over again. There's so much. But a lot hinges on, you know, 
the aftermath of the last president, the former presidency, and really putting things in order. That seems to have taken over the agenda at the moment in America. How do we put an end to all the crazy nonsense that's gone on before? There's an interesting book that that, that was published um, this week, um, and um, it describes the, the some of the issues that key issues that came up during the during the Trump administration which caused a great deal of anxiety and concern to the American people. And they, they discussed quite a number of them. And this one particular issue, I think, found really interesting. And it's in, it's in a book um, produced, by, uh, produced by Yasmin Abu Talib and Damien Paletta. Um, it's called Nightmare Scenario. And uh, what it describes is early in the pandemic, an outbreak of the um, the COVID virus on the Diamond Princess cruise ship had spread out of control. The passengers included uh, many Americans, prompting urgent questions about whether they should be repatriated and uh, where they should be quarantined. Among the most, uh, I suppose one would say, eye-popping and jaw-dropping revelations in this new book is the claim that President Donald Trump suggested sending them to Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> but he um, didn't know the name of Guantanamo, didn't he say, <laughs> don't we own an island? But that was the That's one he correct. meant. That's absolutely correct, Dave. Your memories are very, is very good. And that's actually what he did say. But it should, uh, it should not need saying though, that um, a military, a military compound used to house terrorism suspect. It's not a suitable place for the quarantine, the isolation and the treatment of mainly elderly citizens. Already known to be a group of vulnerable. It would have made great television. Severe infection would have absolutely, absolutely. And the, the alleged reason for the suggestion was the president's obsession with keeping the numbers of cases in the United States low. Um, <laughs> while energies were consumed with the Diamond Princess and other cruise ships, the virus quietly entered the country and started to spread. Even as the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, struggled to develop a test capable of establishing that fact. Wonderful. And that's among many stories um, told in the book. And I just thought this one was particularly particular. But, you know, it, it just shows you how what little needs to change to turn um, an election on its head. We could, had Trump handled this a lot more sensitively and a lot better. We he might still be president of the United States today. What a mess we'd be in. Well, not after this next revelation that we play from the book. <laughs> this this one got me, Des, when you showed this one to me. So, yes, I knew about the send them to Guantanamo. Ha ha, wouldn't that be funny in the orange jumpsuits? Like, okay, it never happened. But there's something that should have happened. And this is the most disturbing one. Damien, the reporting in this book is spectacular, interesting, and deeply depressing. 
given the level of <laughs> incompetence that it, uh, that you report on. But my feeling, and, and it's still a strong feeling today, is that one of the most horrendous things that occurred during those first few months when people in America became alert to and victimized by the virus was the politicization of mask wearing by the president of the United States. Absolutely. And, you know, I think what, one of the, our big targets for Yasmin and I was to look at the inflection points in the response, the moments when things could have gone one way, but they went another way. And there is this really dramatic scene in the Situation Room in March when they finally agreed, yes, you know, masks can help. And so they had these U.S. Um, underwear making companies produce 600 million masks that they were going to send two masks to every American through the United States Postal Service. And so they had these, you know, uh, masks made and Secretary Azar in the Situation Room tried them on to kind of model them for the group. And, you know, there's this kind of, you know, frat boy humor. Oh, it looks like a jock strap on your face. Oh, it looks like a training bra on your face. And so they scuttled the mask and the masks were never sent. Imagine, Mike, if they had sent masks to every American, two masks, and it was normalized and the president modeled it and there was no division. It wasn't political at all. Imagine how the response could have been different. But they didn't. You know, the mask got shelved. It turned, as you met, as you said, it turned into this huge wedge issue where either you were with the president and didn't wear masks or you wore masks and you were against the president. And, you know, the consequences of that were catastrophic. And still to this day, you know, one of the worst legacies of this virus is how divided the country is and how so many people don't trust scientists. They don't trust what they believe. And we're still seeing, you know, a lot of issues, you know, with the turmoil and the, you know, the near civil war we had earlier this year. And it was all fed by this split last year that I think started with the mass. Can you imagine that, like you said, maybe it would have changed outcomes. Certainly not so many people would have lost their lives in America. What, what's also interesting about that, Dave, is that it's, it's created a global catastrophe, I suppose, really, one could say around mask wearing. Nearly all the countries of the world suddenly picked up the rebellion, the Trumpist rebellion in, you know, it's, it's unmanly, it's unbecoming to wear a mask, you know, and people found all sorts of reasons not to wear masks. Um, even demanding that of innocent people who chose to wear masks. They laid in wait for them and they bullied them and they abused them. Extraordinary. But we're grateful for one thing. Had Trump succeeded in accepting the need to wear masks, and apparently, I, from what I understand, it was one of um, his uh, son-in-law's um, baby. It, it was apparently very angry when he discovered that the masks were not going to be made available in the time that he had um, he had prepared for their availability, uh, and uh, we could have had President Trump today. So thank God he did what he did. <laughs> thank God for that. But yes, heaven you're absolutely. Yeah, help go ahead, heaven help us. Well, the, the truth is on its way out. I don't know. Are you have you got Pelosi's story with the commission or no? I haven't at all. We can insert okay, that. Whereas, let's, yeah, let's, let's add it here. So this week, Nancy Pelosi announced that the speaker will hold a commission into what happened on the 6th of January with the insurrection. 
And it's interesting because I don't know how many people know, but some years ago there was an incident in Benghazi when Hillary was uh, defense secretary in the early, um, I think 20, I think it was it 2012, 2014, it's around this time. Anyway, they <laughs> the Republicans would not let go and they held an investigation for four years nonstop. And they said, we will go wherever the truth takes us. And right now, Nancy Pelosi has permitted some Republicans to sit on the committee. Liz Cheney has accepted who is the most conservative of the Republicans as you can get. She's got a 96% voting record for you know the ultra conservatives. And she has accepted a seat on the commission. And this has scared the living daylights out of Kevin McCarthy, the House uh, minority leader. And they don't know what to quite do, I think, because remember with the previous commission, the Republicans made a number of demands and in the end, the Democrats acquiesced to all their requests. Now, the Republicans wouldn't vote that measure through, even though they got everything they asked for. So now Pelosi is doing it and organizing it on her side. So is it, it looks like we're going to get there. It's going to take some time. But maybe they are running scared because they think that they may have some culpability or be called as witnesses because this commission will have the power to subpoena and demand their asses turn up. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Go Pelosi. Go Pelosi. She's, just get on with it. Like the, the Democrats must learn the tricks of the Republicans. Like they, they tore this Benghazi thing from left, right to center. Guess what, Pelosi? There's your example. Use every trick in the book. You know, come on. I don't know what else they think they can be doing. The Democrats, this is not the time. And I think one of the most interesting statistics that I saw come out this week was that two thirds of Americans, and that it was quite a big sample that they did. Two thirds of Americans think American democracy is at threat. Two thirds. So the next cycle of elections could prove very interesting with all the gerrymandering. It, you know, it, uh, the, mansion all the rest of them they gotta move their asses there's they gotta move their asses it's time the system will break otherwise then what's the point i i think america is in in severe danger of precisely what you've just described um and yes they do have to break they do have to make a decision and they have to be a lot tougher the democrats um they don't have an awful lot of time to play with and they need to move a little bit faster. But they've got part of the problem, I think, is whether or not they keep this damned rule in, in, the, in the Senate. You know, do they continue to operate in the same way with this 60 plus votes required to pass laws? Or do they do it on a, you know, a simple majority basis? And I think they've got to, this is the only way they can move forward. And if they can't get everybody on board with this, then the, the, America has problems, not just the Democrat Party, the America's problems. But then America has just lost one of its, um, its, I don't know whether one would call an old problem, but it's no knowns. Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> who created quite a stir as the U.S. Secretary of Defense and uh, George Bush, but uh, he had trod that path before under President Gerald Ford, who I believe replaced 
who did he replace? Nixon. Nixon, President Nixon. And he passed away at the age of 88. Um, but he was an American politician and government official. And, and he was the, served as the Secretary of Defense from 1875 to 1997. But I think one of the things he's probably best remembered for is about what he knew and about what he didn't know um, around It's 12 uh, hours. Iraq. And his famous... Around what? Uh, Say around Iraq again. Yeah, Iraq. Around Iraq. And um, his, in his famous speeches, this is what he said, I believe. As we know, there are no knowns. There are things we know, we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns, the ones we don't know. We don't know. Rumsfeld said this in 20, uh, 2002, suggesting Iraq could have been given terrorist weapons of mass destruction, despite the fact there wasn't much evidence of it. Simply because, he said, you do not have evidence that something exists does not mean that you have evidence that it doesn't exist. Sorry, simply because you don't have evidence that something exists does not mean that you have evidence that it doesn't exist. And he said that in 20, 2002 regarding the same topic. Sadly, he's passed away. I don't know if How he has any memories from you, Dave. Sorry? How do you know that? <laughs> you are you suggesting these are known knowns, Dave? <laughs> but there are unknown unknowns. <laughs> well, I think I think the reporter saw the coffin. <laughs> yeah, but so, that's a known unknown because he's known that there's a coffin, but was he in it? Or has he gone to Mars? Is he leaders of the space people? <laughs> the UFO sightings, it's all Rumsfeld. It could be him. Dave, you're talking like an American now. <laughs> you're a great conspiracy theorist now. What, I didn't realise that. What's mad, right? We, we, this UFO story is hilarious because this is all really serious. Like, it's all in documents and whatever. And it's like the X-Files are real, except all they say is we're not quite sure because we know it's not Russian or Chinese or blah, blah but we don't know what it is. So it's really funny that at this moment in America, with everything else going on, it's like, yeah, the aliens could exist because we can't explain it. Like, it just... <laughs> maybe maybe the truth is Trump is the alien. I don't know. Like, this is why none of it makes sense. Like, you know, maybe this is the truth and he's got his strange hairpiece and strange skin colour. It's a skin suit. The aliens can't get the colouring right. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the children he bred with a human being. <laughs> well, do you know, Dave, we might enjoy deep fried America soon. <laughs> because it was 115 degrees Fahrenheit in Portland. 115 degrees. No, you gotta do that in you gotta do that in new money, Desmond. That's old oh. money. It, okay. it, it, English folk don't do that anymore. We're oh, all what, did what did you say? 115 Fahrenheit. 115 degrees Fahrenheit. 
in, in Celsius, 46.1. Oh, wow. I could slow roast you a beef. And it was half of that, almost half of that, which is the normal, the, 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 the normal level of heat in, um, in, in, in Portland. Um, there were 63 fatalities um, in six counties. And isolation appears to have contributed to the deaths of many people because uh, a lot of them were alone at home without proper air conditioning and fans. Unlike floods, earthquakes or fires where it's clearer who's in danger, with heat, you, you, it, it's, it's really, the heat has been on the, the rise in Oregon over the last 80 years. And um, it's, it, it's, it's reached an, 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 an enormous height in, in 1940, according to statewide climate assessment. Um, and no single type of weather event kills more Americans than extreme heat. It kills more than hurricanes, floods, and floods combined. Um, and it has twice the death toll of tornadoes and four times the death toll of extreme cold, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Climate scientists have long said that events like the one that hit the Pacific Northwest this weekend are likely to be more intense, last for longer, and happen more frequently as the climate contributes to warm because of human-caused greenhouse gas emissions. Now, what's interesting here is that Biden is attempting to include in his infrastructure plan money, and I think it's something in the region of $300 billion, to contribute to addressing the issue of global warming in America. The Republicans oppose it because a lot of them feel that, like Trump, global warming is a hoax. And now the heat is overwhelming some of their states. And Canada as well, eh? And Canada. Yes, of course, Dave, you're right there. And Canada. Um, and one wonders what kind of heat will get elsewhere across the globe this summer because we're almost there. Oh, I suppose we best get on to the... The, the Trump uh, Organization and the Weisberg. I wonder the, why. The, what's, what's gone on there? <laughs> what's happened there? He's you know, coming under... this Weisberg? Anyway, maybe we should play something fun, Desmond, because, yes, I think the Trump Organization... Have been indicted, as we will be clearly informed about now. Just moments ago, from the Washington Post, reporting that a Manhattan grand jury has filed criminal indictments against the Trump Organization and his longtime chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg.
I really enjoyed that. So yes, we, we need to rename some a key player here. So Alan Weisselberg is the chief financial officer for said Trump organization. And he's been there from the days of uh, Trump's daddy. So he knows all the bodies are buried here and he's got a lot of details. And basically they want him to squeak because it has materialized that the Trump organization paid for people's schooling, housing, cars, all the rest of it. And they didn't do it through the proper payroll procedures. Now, they wanted him to start to give evidence and basically he's called their bluff. So they've played their game and indicted him and the rest of the organization, which already has huge ramifications. But they are hoping to get the bigger fish, aren't they? That's what it looks like, Desmond. Is that is that in, in summary, in short, succinct summary? That is, that is a very, very good summary of it. And uh, most um, pundits believe that this is the first step this is not the only action that will be taken, but this is the first and probably the smallest. And I think the intention is to put pressure on Weisselberg and his uh, his family, as well as the Trump family, to turn, as they say in Britain, Queen's evidence. Um, and the claim is that he'd received lots of bonuses and luxury perks. He had uh, apparently an apartment in Manhattan. He leased Mercedes-Benz cars and even private school tuition for one of his grandchildren. Um, and all of these things have come under scrutiny from the Mr. Vance, whose office has been investigating where the so tax... he's the New York prosecutor. He's the New York prosecutor. And who's a he... specialist in mob crimes and Absolutely. blah, blah, blah. Absolutely, Yes. And they've been investigating whether taxes should have been paid on those benefits. Now, already we've had Eric Trump making an appeal to the American people on Fox television, claiming that the three and a half million dollars which were not paid in taxes were small fry. They're relatively small. And these things happen in most if not all organized, large organizations. And the Americans shouldn't, the American people shouldn't be very hard on his father for that. And he made a plea, a special plea on that issue. His brother, Donald Trump Jr., looking a little bit worse for wear, made another plea on, um, I think, another television network, claiming that um, it was all the fault of, others and not his father, that things are where they are. Um, and uh, what's, what's, being, what's clearly evident is that the pressure is mounting on the Trump family. And where the hope is that it will mount sufficiently on Weisberg that he will turn and... Um, but you've got to connect the dots because Trump, many years ago in a deposition, said very clearly, everything Weisberg does, he knows about. So if Weiselberg now tries to say, like, Trump didn't know, but Trump, they've got the, and they're going back 15 years of all this tax stuff, which covers the time when he gave that deposition. So I think, and remember, the grand jury is still meeting. They still have so many more months to go. They are meeting for like three days a week. I wonder what issues they're looking at. But um, 
Do you remember Trump's proud boast during the debate with Hillary Clinton in which he declared that he's super smart because he doesn't pay or, or either pays very little tax or no tax? Or virtually well, we know tax. he paid $750, don't we? <laughs> Maybe that was a bad year. Uh, but I think the, the thing I think, right, is Weisselberg has been around a long, long time. Mm. And, you know, even from the days of Trump's daddy. So maybe he's hoping that this time Trump will protect him. But it's been rumoured this week that Ivanka, his daughter, his, his favourite child, is really creating some distance between her and him. And I think... I, I'd almost place a bet that one of the children will crack before Weisselberg does. And I think it's going to be Ivanka. <laughs> I really do. I think it's going to be Ivanka. She will crack. They have a lot to, they have a lot to lose. Um, I think that indictments could be served on nearly all the family, to be quite honest, because I think there, there are enough. There are enough things that um, became very evident during Trump's administration, in which his family were favoured and were allowed to pursue all sorts of business um, business um, deals and options and patents with many countries across the globe, and uh, without intervention from the father and without any kind of sanction from the American. The, the American um, ethical committees. So, um, yeah, so they're in, they're in danger. The question is, how will Vance organize this? Clearly, this pressure tap that he's placed on the Trump family and organization and their associate. Because I believe already some of the executives have already, um, have already um, flipped. I believe one or two executives have already flipped. Um, so, you know, it's, it may just be a matter of time, Dave. It is, and time will tell. But our favourite, um, Rachel Maddow of MSNBC <laughs> fame, she, she, th this is what I was talking about earlier with some of the news networks. Like, they are really enjoying, schadenfreude is the word, eh? To enjoy someone's downfall. And... Um, I feel like you can feel the schadenfreude in her voice. Just enjoy. If you're, if you feel like we're wading too much into the legal, the legal niceties here, I'll bring it back to brass tacks. Did you see the wire? Do you know that scene in the wire where Idris Elba's character says, are you taking notes on a criminal conspiracy? What are you thinking? Remember that scene? Classic scene, right? Is you taking notes on a criminal conspiracy? What are you thinking, man? That's how it worked on The Wire. Uh, here's how prosecutors say it worked at the Trump Organization. Pretty parallel. Uh, quote, beginning in 2005 and as part of the scheme to defraud, Weiselberg signed rental checks drawn on the Trump Corporation's bank account. The checks were sent to the managing agent for the apartment building on Riverside Boulevard, where Weiselberg and his wife lived. Similarly, Weiselberg and others directed the Trump Corporation to issue checks to pay for Weiselberg's utility bills for the Riverside Boulevard apartment, including payments for electricity, phone services, internet, cable television service. During this period of time, the Trump Corporation also paid for Weiselberg's monthly garage expenses. At all relevant times, the payments of Weiselberg's rent, 
utilities, and garage expenses constituted employee compensation, constituted taxable income to Weisselberg. But these payments were not booked in the Trump Corporation's general ledger as employee compensation. That said, quote, for certain years, the Trump Organization maintained internal spreadsheets that tracked the amounts it paid for Weiselberg's rent, utility, and garage expenses. The indirect compensation to Weiselberg was not included on Weiselberg's W-2 forms or otherwise reported to tax authorities. So he's effectively getting paid actually like deducted from his salary what they paid him in rent utilities and his garage expenses and all this stuff. It was definitely part of his compensation. They didn't report it to tax authorities and they didn't list it in the company's books, but they did apparently describe it to the penny in an internal spreadsheet that tracked every cent of it. Is you taking notes on a criminal bleeping conspiracy? What are you thinking? They kept internal written records of the stuff they were otherwise very carefully keeping off the books. Really? And a prosecutor, prosecutors apparently now have that. Audacious and sweeping. That's how the prosecutor described it. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine Hugh Edwards doing something like that? You know, <laughs> Hugh Edwards of BBC fame. Like, yeah, I, I just, oh, it's great. I love the detail. They kept a spreadsheet, Desmond. They kept a spreadsheet with all the details on it. It's just, I, go on. No, I was going to say, I was just thinking through that uh, 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 recollection of you know these events. And I was thinking that there is actually something which is, seems to be persistently evident with Trump. And there is a kind of braggadocious, is that the word? a boastfulness about some of his actions that he often tells people what he's done and he says it with a degree of pride oh you won't catch me um but by the way did you know i did and why would anyone meticulously keep a record <laughs> Dave, I, I don't know a spreadsheet because you want to make sure that you you knew how much you was actually giving people the real records, Desmond. But but why? You're giving it away anyway. So why keep it? What for posterity? You don't want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, They're like you, you Des. They want to keep things in triplicate. Absolutely. They've got detailed files. Detailed files. <laughs> I thought that was wonderful, but. I will say this, that one of the things that also came to mind was that um, Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, he testified in Congress that that Weiselberg had helped orchestrate a cover-up to reimburse him for $130,000 payment to the adult film actress Stormy Daniels, and that together they had concocted phony valuations of the company's real estate holdings to suit Mr. Trump's need at any given moment. Now, to do this, and who is going to believe a word? When Weiselberg finally gets up on that that stand and he testifies, who's actually going to believe anything that he says? Unless you're a devout Trump supporter. 
They'll just bring up the spreadsheet. <laughs> Dave, that's priceless. Come on, spreadsheets get you nowadays, eh? What happened to your good old little-fashioned notebook you kept locked in your safe, you know? It used to be called a black book in those days. I mean, I do but have this an is issue. The problem nowadays, like even so, you had your little black book, you could throw it on the fire, the police smash down the door, oh, the thing is burned, right? Nowadays, you save it on your laptop, it sinks it to the eye, the cloud of this and that, and in many drives. And you don't know, man, just digitalness, it, it sucks it all in. It just, you know, historians in years to come, their problem is too much info. What really happened on the 6th of January? Oh, it was a parade. <laughs> and you know what's funny, right? About the, well, not funny, but the, of the insurrection. So in that book we mentioned earlier, one of the other things that comes out is when Trump said on stage, and I'm going to march down there with you, apparently the Secret Service said to the um, uh, chief of staff, like, we can't let him do that. Like, it's, you know, there's a security, blah, blah, blah. And apparently Mark Meadows was like, um, um, okay, hang on. And then when Trump came off stage, Mark Meadows said to him, like, yeah, we can't take you. And Trump said to him, I was not speaking literally. Like, I wasn't telling the truth. We're not really going. <laughs> so even his staff, his chief of staff believed the words he just said on stage. And it's only when he comes down the staircase to say, you know, listen, Mr. President, sadly, we cannot tell you. Are you stupid? No, that was for them. I just, there's, even his own staff believed him. This commission, the witnesses is going to be interested because they will have the phone record too. What did you say in this four minute phone call? I don't recall. Okay, let's go through another hundred witnesses because we're going to find someone at the bus stop that overheard you. Like, it, <laughs> trust. Pelosi, Pelosi, do your thing, man. Do your thing. And now I'm going to move on to this other one with the Alabama town has denied Trump a permit to hold a rally it was because they were not convinced it was not a political event. And uh, it, it would be interesting to play the audio, Dave, at this point. Donald Trump, as the as you see here, Center for Public Integrity, they do great work. Donald Trump's campaign has not paid a lot of bills. You mentioned 10 outstanding bills. How about the, the tune of $841,000? As you can see, this is from all over the country. Uh, Tucson, El Paso, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Vermont, Spokane. They have not paid Bills, and this goes, and I'll show you, this goes back a ways. This is, okay, the largest single voice, $470,000. Remember, this was the rally that they held in comparison to the Beto O'Rourke rally in El Paso, Texas, February 11th, $470,000. And there are expenses, and this, the next screen will show it, they go back to 2016, the 2016 campaign, Green Bay, Wisconsin, Eau Claire, uh, Spokane. What is the most of this cost tied up in, Brooke, the $841,000? It's mostly over uh, time for security. Mm, didn't mm. want to pay the cops. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that called defunding the police? <laughs> well, that I mean, that moves us on to another topic, but let's stay here for a second. Yes. Yes. But like, we know Trump doesn't pay his bills. Yes. Yes. And with and these indictments, not many people want to do business with the Trump organization. People are trying to rip his signs off of their buildings. 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a very good point, actually. One of the things that was said right at the outset of his, 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 um, his flirtation with politics was that he's not as good a businessman as people claim. Um, there was uncertainty about actually what he was worth. There were lots of um, uh, allegations about the criminality of some of his claims, um, particularly you know, um, the overpricing of some of his property, um, which was uh, clearly signposted by Cohen, his former uh, lawyer. Um, and uh, as you say, businesses are fleeing him. The name, the Trump name and brand, they do not want to be associated with them. Their loan foreclosures are expected to make his company bankrupt. Um, and that apparently, there was something interesting that happened, Dave, which I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, there is a presidential historian, a chap called Tam Naftel, and he explained a C-SPAN survey that asked 142 presidential historians, that asked presidential historians and historical observers of the presidency to rate all the U.S. presidents. And who do you think came top? It's a question for you, Dave. As in the best one? Yes. You um, know who it is. You like some of his, his namesake at the moment. But it was Abraham Lincoln, okay? Oh. I was trying to say Obama, but I thought, no, no, I'm sure <laughs> people want to say other things. No, Lincoln's long been, there, which is the Lincoln Project, which you, you love the work coming out of that project. And um, Lincoln came in at the top spot and Donald Trump he tied for 41st the worst and when they asked uh, um, uh, um, Tam Naftel um, and they asked a number of people why they thought Trump was the worst and they claimed that Trump the reasons for that was Trump mishandled the pandemic they also thought that he was responsible for the insurrection. And he's got some titles. He's the first president of America not to have accepted the outcome of an election. He's also the first president not to have supported a peaceful transfer of power. And this is the thing that a lot of the historical um, presidential historians um, really were most upset about. A lot of them claimed that he subordinated subordinated America's national interest over that of his personal interest. And those are the three three key things that they thought that 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 propelled him into the forty first spot as and as being the worst president America's ever known. Um, and yes, he's, they're fleeing him. <laughs> Everyone is. They're running away from him. Rather sad. Sorry, Des, I was just eating my, my breakfast. <laughs> <laughs>
That's I was okay. hungry. That's I got okay. a pang of hunger in that moment. Sorry. That's okay. I, I, I can move on. We've got an audio, Dave, um, and which is uh, uh, um, the tale of Jason Riddle. And you might want to play that while you finish. Last thing before we go here tonight. This is a local news story from our station up in Boston with a twist, a literal twist. So we're just going to roll the story for you. This is from reporter Catherine Underwood from Channel 10 in Boston, NBC affiliate. And it features a man who played a memorable and prominent role in the riot and desecration of our capital and his plans to run for office based on his newfound notoriety. Jason Riddle is still working on the details of his campaign. I guess let's get back to work. I guess that should be the, the slogan I'm going to go with. You might remember Riddle after seeing this photo. He's the man from Keene, New Hampshire, who admitted to entering the Capitol building on January 6th and chugging from a bottle of wine he found in a lawmaker's office. In the long run, if you're running for office, I guess any attention is good attention, so I think it'll help me. Riddle says he received death threats after his involvement in the riots was made public, but he says he's also heard from a lot of people asking him to run for an elected position. What does being at the riots do for your campaign? Tells him I show up. I'm going to actually keep my promises and, and um, make some changes. Okay, so it's not over. We've just chosen to stop it here for a second to prepare you for the good part. And so here's the payoff. He says he's running against Democrat Annie Custer in the 2022 midterm elections. Custer is currently in her fifth term as a U.S. Congresswoman representing New Hampshire's 2nd District. I thought Ann was a state representative. No. So a state rep is in the in the state house in Concord. Yeah, that's what Ann is. No, no, no. She's in Washington. Oh, well, I guess I got to run against that then. So Washington it is. The problem right now, though, is that Riddle is prohibited from D.C. while he faces several misdemeanor charges for his alleged role in the riots. Despite my ongoing legal problems, I'm supposed to live my life how I want to live it. And uh, it's something I want to do. So why not do it? Catherine Underwood to take us off the air tonight. Here's the takeaway. If you have one of these insurrection enthusiasts near you in your community, prompted by their newfound fame to run for office, they may need your help. Please assist them by directing them to the correct race. Maybe also explain the branches of government, both federal and while you're at it, probably state government as well. Don't you just love it? <laughs> it's just that stupidity. It's the clown. A clown. That's what he is. It's a clown. I mean, it's, it, as you say, it's such stupidity. I mean, how can you be possibly consider yourself to be with, with all seriousness? And you don't even know who you're running, who, you know, who you're running up against. You don't even know that it's not a federal branch of government that you're, you're running. Oh, it's crazy. There's it's not a state you know you can elect the tax collector, right? What job would you like to be elected to? Let's imagine you're running some kind of Republican standard campaign, which means you you just install them via any means. It doesn't matter how people vote. So what job would you have? I think I know what mine would be. I would be like chief planner approver in London, right? So that what I would do is like when they want to build one of these tall buildings and... Um, or the, you know, like the shard and the whatever. They make wonderful little models. Have you ever seen them? And they make little people yes. and little cars. And, yeah, that's you know, right. Make it out of wood and this. And I just imagine being the chief planner. So everyone would show you all of these various 
you know, little models and whatever, and the CGI and the, all the bits they can create now. And I would get my little hammer approved, not approved. I don't like the glass. Change this. Like, it would be great. You're just, no, no, this tower is too big or too small. Add three more floors. Like, this would be, I'd, I'd quite enjoy that job. I'd like playing with the models. You know, that would be my one privilege. So, yeah. What job would you have? I would like, I, I, I would, first first of all, I'd move away from London or, or the UK. I think I would like to displace um, um, McConnell. I think would I would want to be the new leader, minority leader, as it was in the Senate. And I would really delight in using my gavel to, <laughs> to knock a few heads together, <laughs> Republican heads together. I think that's what I want to do right at the moment. And that's be my first um, my first uh, post, um, you know, ahead of my my planned attack of being the next president of the um, the US. Don't you think that's wonderful? <laughs> Did you say the say... minority leader? Yeah, he's, he's at the moment, he's minority leader, isn't he? Does he get a gavel? Well, well, I, I mean, I would, he would get a minority gavel. <laughs> we'll give him a minority gavel. I'd have one so that I can knock a few heads together and say, yes, you will take part in the insurrection commission. You know, we'll have representatives on that um, on that commission and they will make a contribution. And, you know, thy will be done. I mean, whoever gets, you know, dragged into it, forced through subpoenas to, you know, to state what actually we will. We will deal with truth. We will deal with truth because that's the one glaring issue in American in the Republican politics at the moment, the inability to confront truth. Well, there is a number of them that are kind of standing in the sunlight and not accepting this because, you know, the former president has begun his rallies again. And like you said earlier, was denied one in um, Alabama. And anyway, he needs to pay some bills, it looks like. He might end up bankrupt just from not paying his bills. Why don't these people <laughs> take him to court? He's got a number of outstanding issues. They best get in line, you know. <laughs> Can you imagine forming orderly queue? Oh, Dave, will there be any money left to pay anyone at the end of the day? That's the real big question. You Is just there want... any money? Well, I tell you one of the things that's a bit worrying, actually, is they have to make Vance and his team and Letitia, um, uh, I can't remember her name. The... Letitia James. Yeah, James. They have to be absolutely certain that they have a cast iron case before they haul Trump up in front of a court, they can't afford this to fail. Because if they do, they would look rather stupid. So I think you, you said there's about confronting truth. And this mm -hmm. is what a lot of them are struggling with. But last week, one of the um, uh, committees in uh, Congress was looking into the issue of critical race theory that has kind of sprung its head across America. Now, this is a really old academic theory that is not new, but all of a sudden, all these right-wingers and cancel culture people that believe that their voices are being cancelled are all screaming about it, but they can't articulate what it is. And all it basically <laughs> describes is structural racism within institutions and the way in which they're built. And it also talks about the way in which to capture that is 
via narrative stories because it's what people perceive and feel and how the system actually works as opposed to just rough percentages. So that's all it is. And um, uh, Matt Gates, our wonderful unindicted um, <laughs> House representative, uh, he was asking a number of questions to Defense, US think general. about critical race theory. Could I make a comment? Uh, Secretary, I'm sorry. Well, I'm very limited on my time, General Millis. Well, I, I just want to make a comment that the feedback well, I know, but I've, I've, gotten I, I've, I've asked the question to Secretary Austin. I don't, I don't know what the what the issue of critical race theory is and what the relevance here uh, in with the department. We do not teach critical race theory. We don't we don't embrace uh, critical race theory. And I think I think that's a spurious uh, uh, conversation. I would like to yield some of my time to General Milley because I know that he had some comments that he wanted to make when Representative Gates was talking. Sure. Um, first of all, on the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. Um, but I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. Uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders now and in the future do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States, antebellum laws prior to the Civil War, that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three-quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a civil war and emancipation proclamation to change it. And we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know. And I respect your service and you and I are both Green Berets, but I want to know. And it matters to our military and the discipline and cohesion of this military. And I thank you for the opportunity to make a comment on that. Thank you, General. Wow, what an articulate general. That gives me hope, individuals like that exist. I want to keep an open mind. Just because I've read this doesn't make me X, you know. Just because you read the Bible doesn't make you Christian, I guess, just to have ideas discussed. That's the what a democracy is, plurality, more than one idea, being able to be freely discussed. But you have to agree that there is an idea, eh? Or there is a concept, uh, just where the Republicans seem to be in their denial for their deity Trump. Which well, god? Jim. The 12 Greek gods? Zeus? <laughs> Zeus bless America. Zeus. <laughs> Maybe next week Dionysus. You'll have to look him up, guys. He's a god of something else. <laughs> wow. Well, we won't go through gods because there's so many of them. And which ones? Um, 
Dave. Well, it looks like there's a real hunk in the room. Mr. Matt Hancock, who would have Adam and Eved it or believed it, but it was caught on CCTV with Gina, something whose surname I can't pronounce or bother to Google right now. But I, it just made me wonder in politics, like if you're a partner of someone, you know, like Matt Hancock's wife or, you know, whoever, you all of a sudden you're kind of thrust into the limelight. Like now he's left his wife and wants to make a go of it with this woman even though more questions are being called to their relationship previously and how she got given so many treats from the goodie box, shall we say. But, you know, I just feel for some of these people that are not, politics was not their world or fame was not their world and they just kind of have it thrust upon them. You know, his poor wife, what did she do? She wasn't caught on CCTV telling the country one thing and doing another. <sighs> but hey, let's see, Sajid Javid's in this. He's polished his head and he's ready to go. I would say two things about Matt Hancock is one is that he doesn't have exclusive rights over infidelity. We've seen this before. We've actually, Well, the boss is the master, it, isn't he? We saw it with not only that, but then there has been that with also, um, it wasn't there with Major and Edwina Curry. Um, yeah, the, but that came out sometime later. Yeah, but but I I I I tell you the thing that really puzzles me about this, and I think this is a very interesting. I'd love to know a little bit more about how that photograph came into being because it really highlights um, security issues. I mean, who took that photo, and how long were they sitting on that photo before it was released? I'm not suggesting that Matt Hancock is any angel or well, they maybe them, they send the also the highest level of competency. So, but the yeah, photos from May. So yeah. there we are. So there must have been. Do we? Don't we? Shall we wait until whatever? I it mean, could have been himself. Probably... It could have been him that did it. Do you know what I mean? It could have been like, look, just print that off and send it. Was do everything possible to get sacked? It was the FBI. And they won't sack me. So maybe it was like, the, and then the prime minister said that it was, you know, uh, uh, the matter is closed. And then Hancock's gone, no, no, I'm just going to resign now. Like, they won't even fire me for this. Is it like, GHQ? Is that the British Intelligence Service? GCHQ. GCHQ. It's probably them. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's, some, there's some story there. There's some, But yeah, well, what do you, what do you think of the new Sadiq? Sadiq? Um, Sajid, 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 Sajid. Sorry, yeah, good old Sajid. Um, well, who cares? It's the most <laughs> probably actually is probably the most competent of the bunch. Mm, that's what think I was about thinking. Who it is? I think it, I get a sense from him. What you see is what you get. Like the mm. way he called them when they were all being interviewed on Newsnight for the leadership contest before Boris won. And he kind of blindsided them all into a review and his into Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. <laughs> he was like, look, should we all agree, guys? Like, God, can you imagine them after? What did you do, Sajid? Like, you know. <laughs> so it's, I think what you see is what you get, but maybe the Department of Health is always an interesting one. Like, if he gives the nurses and doctors a pay rise now, he will be, you know, their new guru for a little while. But he best make it a good one. You know, if 5% or more, I think if any more than that, if there's a dot, you know, four point dot, it's going to be, why not five? So just make it five. Damn it. Rishi will have to work out the money. Rishi, Rishi, he helped out to eat out. Now help out to stitch out to 
you know, ambulance you out and surgery, whatever. I've lost the point of the metaphor, but anyway. No, Dave, but that was good. That was really good. I think, yeah, that's a good analysis. I'll go with that. I'll share that with you. We'll see. It's um we should play you, that. That should be a game one week on the podcast. Competency matters. And we absolutely. try and guess who's the most competent minister of the week. Like Liz Truss signed her own name. Like, you know, we could get really happy about certain things. I I noticed on one of the the cable networks in America, they call it they have a, a what they call garbage people of the week. That's there, but we don't have to use the same word, but that's what they no, do. We could have most competent minister of the week. You know, they that said their own name correctly. You know, hmm. they were able to. Any ideas it. about who you would you who you'd favour currently? Well, we, let's 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 give it some time. Now we've constructed it. I can look for it. Most competent uh, minister of the week. That would be yes. a nice one, actually. Yeah. Wow. Probably, probably Sajid. You know, just the fact that he's new to the team. We'll give him. We'll give him that. So you you giving him a good start, as it were. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and can you believe I mentioned sports news in the bloody podcast at the headline? Say anyway. I know, Dave. Enough. I I so I'm not into any sport whatsoever. <laughs> but I know you are, Des. So I know you are thrilled about next Wednesday. It's well, coming home, good. Desmond. It's I don't know why it was ever home. Why? But I just I I well didn't um, Keir Starmer say that about the most recent election you know we're on our way back or whatever he's whatever the, you know choice what could he won one by election that happened to have Joe cox's sister that you know is heavily localized issue by as well. 300 let's not go there uk votes. politics is very boring because the <laughs> nutters are in charge like it's not even funny watching the nutters all right yeah. Well, I think that has to be it for this week. Absolutely, Dave. Yeah. Had fun. And welcome back, by the way. Ah, thank you. Thank you kindly. And I hope you had a good holiday. Oh, I did. I did. Who's singing us out this week then? It's Joe South. And um, we've been talking about all sorts of games, haven't we? So it seems appropriate that he talks, he will sing us out with games people play. See you next week, Des. Ciao.
So we gaze on an age for ten Thinking about the things that might have been And it's a dirty rotten shame Oh, You and me, oh, and the game people play. 